because if you want to get past the open micer stage, you have to begin to figure out like, why am I funny to this crowd? Why, why do they want to hear what I have to say? How can they relate to it? And will they want to hear more? Greetings, everyone. Come on in and have a seat up front for the Funny Muscle Podcast. If you're here, then you're looking to learn how to create laughs like a pro. So please help me welcome to the stage your co-host to help you do that, economics professor and open micro Chris Stempler and comedian turned author Mike Lucas. Mike, uh, I wanted to start the discussion with a uh, kind of conversation we had the other day when I asked you why I had such a hard time following open micers sets. One of the things that a lot of these newer, why you're not following a lot of these open micers, like you're saying, they don't have their clear comedy lens yet. And they don't have, when you don't have a clear comedy lens, you don't have a point to why you're doing your act. A clear comedy lens says, here's who I am. Um, here's why I'm funny. Therefore, here's why I'm here tonight to tell you this stuff and so you know in, in each each comedy a comedian is different and the the more successful you are as a comedian i would argue that the more clear your lens is even if you've never spoke it out loud even if they're not conscious of it themselves through their organic humor they have developed a lens that you recognize immediately and it's like like jerry seinfeld says if you want to imitate it it's imitatable because it's that clear because it's a lens it's it's that's that's um gone from just being here's how i look at the world to also here's how i present my thoughts and and takes you know so it's physical it's verbal it's um visual um you know and and it's it's the humor blueprint how they because that's the thing about your comedy lens depending on how you look at the world of uh, you know through that lens that, that to, i say the comedy lens is sort of like you really it's a, your personal organic sort of um porthole that you look at through to to get your humor then um the, like the more clear you are on that then the more you understand how to begin to get your uh takes so you look at a subject like say um divorce well if you just go why is divorce funny if you're just like what i call a corner cripper which is just a generic yeah. funny guy you know, hey, hey, divorce, here's the thing. And then you could like rattle off five, 15 jokes about divorce. You might get laughs on those, but it's not as funny as the guy who's like, man, I'm single and I'm afraid of, of meeting a woman I'm going to divorce. Or I've been divorced and here's what life is like. Or I'm about to get divorced and I'm scared to death of of anything that causes confrontation. You know, those are those are like like some pretty clear comedy lenses that you could adapt as a comedian, which is, you know, those are very specific, though. Like they, those might be a little limiting, but, you know, they might lend themselves to a more broader comedy lens you know which it might be um you know the sarcastic uh, relationship crasher you know or something where everything you do is about um i, I try to i try to connect and i and i ruin it you know that that, that might be the your, your your through line so anyway the the uh the, it's really what you're seeing is a lot of these open micers are going out there and they're kind of like comedy quippers they're just people who are, who are just trying to learn how to be funny but not really knowing yet uh, how to be funny for themselves, like to find their authentic comedy take so that we can, because what that does is when you find that out and then we see it through your material as an audience, now we remember you, now we relate to you. Now you're the blah, blah guy or the blah, blah girls and and, and that your lens begins to um, be memorable to them. Like, I want to see more of the blah, blah guy. I like that blah, blah stuff. I really relate to that, you know. What's your comedy lens? Mine is funny. I, in the book, I go through uh, my journey of of comedy because in the beginning, I kind of knew I had a, a a mentor, which was this woman, uh, Vicky Rousman in Orlando, Florida, and she sort of said, you know, you got to kind of know, you have to have sort of a brand or like a uh, like a comedy take, like who are you, you know? And so, so she sort of she didn't really never called it a comedy lens, but you know, I sort of dubbed it that later. But but when I was with her, I, the thing I thought of first uh, to be cute, maybe because I couldn't think of a better one was uh the pale guy from florida because i was pale i was a guy and i was living in florida and so there was like sort of like i was trying to be sort of i don't know not like not really ironic but sort of um i don't know i'm cute funny and and but yet and i had i had business cards made up that said pale guy from florida and um it was really uh a, a, the reason why it wasn't a good comedy lens is because it doesn't it, like it, it doesn't tell the audience anything that they couldn't get on their own by just looking at me. Um, it doesn't help me to hone down material. You know, I can do maybe some material about being pale and being a guy and being in Florida. Um, but, but, but then like, 
like why why do we care what that guy thinks about relationships and that guy thinks about you know it's like it's a it's a kind of a boring lens because it's a very specific like how many pale guys are going to be in my audience you know that are going to be like yeah i'm like that or my husband's so pale you know like it's just it's just kind of um it's not that strong i mean you could use that and i bet you that someone who's really clever and funny could could make that work but then i think they'd want more you know eventually and it would it would have to broaden it so which is what i did and very quickly i then became the um tall bald comic so i didn't learn my lesson and again gave the audience something that they could just guess at by looking at me and it didn't really help my my uh, ability to hone down material or give myself a take because now I'm, it's just, Oh, how does a tall bald guy think about relationships or the mall or, you know, you gotta look out for those doorways because boom, when you're tall and bald, you really can see the scars or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, you know, that's great, but it, it's limited, you know, in, in, to how people can relate to it. So eventually what I f began to figure out when I went back in retrospect and I was writing my book and I wanted to really see what, what a clear lens would be for me. By then I was beginning to, um, I was never, I've never been um, diagnosed as being autistic or having Asperger's syndrome, but I have been accused often by my wife of being an Aspie, which is they call Asperger's. And then I, when I began to do a little bit of research, she's ADHD, she's diagnosed ADHD. And then she sort of brought to light that I could be this sort of Aspie thing, which is, I began to do a little research and I was like, oh my God, I really do identify. These are my people. And um there's a real functional quality to, to Aspies without getting into all the detail, but there's a very, um, like a problem solving, but a, like a very, um, we're, we're focused on one thing where we're, we, our emotions, we have like, maybe like if, if, if there's like most people have say 64 emotional crayons in their box, we might have five or, or 10, you know, like the, in the, the big kindergarten version, you know, and most of them are red. What the hell? And so, so, and, and then there's a, what, what I began to dub as an Aspie hole because there's people who are unaware that they're Aspie and, and Aspie hole, I think is something that is out there. I, I don't think it's like, I didn't invent it. I don't want to Peggy Hill that thing. Like, you know, as I like to call an Aspie hole, but, but, but I really identify with that version of it, which is an, uh, an unaware person who's, who sort of like blurts out, you know, like, like I always say, I, I interject and correct. And then I, um, I uh, notice and notify. I, uh, I I analyze and strategize. So so my wife has sort of pointed out that I do all those things. A lot of unsolicited information to people based on things that have bothered me and I, I see. And so that's sort of like what an Aspie hole is. But then I'm a clumsy Aspie hole because I, I like it always backfires on me. I try to hold the world up to this real high level of standard, and I can't do it myself. And so so my comedy basically comes from that. My my sort of weaseling out of being that good that I that I expect the world to be and then I'm always upset with the world but then yet here I am doing the same damn thing so that's sort of the so I'm the clumsy aspie hole so that's that's in, in a nutshell my my um my lens and and when I went back and looked at all the best bits I did from my my 24-year career all the ones that really killed and, and and sort of I could identify like that really you know I I like were personal to me it they all had that lens they were all using that organically that lens and um they were always something where I was like trying to do this thing but then it backfired into that thing and that was where the funny was you know is it, you think that's because people can identify with you a lot easier like you you've yeah. now grabbed a lot more of the audience I, absolutely you know cuz like like that lens for instance you know, a lot of people are becoming more aware of how they're wired. And so the idea of understanding someone who's an Aspie hole, it's, it's funny because as, as soon as you explain it a little bit, everyone's like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. I know that guy. That's my husband. That's my you know, wife. That's my uh, my roommate. That's the guy I work with. And there's always, you know, like like and, and even if you look at popular culture, like if you look at um, um, The Office, you know, Dwight Schrute is, is you could call you could peg him as an Aspie hole. Um, you look at what's the one with the physicists, uh, um, Bang Theory or Sheldon? Big Bang Theory. Theory. Sheldon is a is a he, you know like you definitely could accuse him of being an Aspie hole. He and he's he and, and, and the whole thing about an Aspie hole is and, 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 like you can zoom out and go well you know what he's right <laughs> you know you always well he's right so I, I even have done like some I did the um like on my website funnymuscle.com, I've done three different um comedy videos about the clumsy Aspie hole and the whole tagline is um sometimes our version of how things went aren't exactly what other people you know kind of felt i, I there's a better uh 
phrasing of it, but but so I do like um, a trip to the grocery store, and I have me talking about my trip to the grocery store, how it was great. It was like you know, it was just typical, it was normal, and then I do the characters of the people at the grocery store, like oh my god, this guy's an idiot. This guy was like he was he was trying to tell the guy how to bag the stuff, and he kept saying heavy stuff on the bottom. He, he knows that he's trained, you know. And then you know, then he, I go back to me, just like oh, I went to the park and I talked to the security guard. He was yelling at the security guard, saying you know, you should work on the traffic. He's like, I don't do traffic. I said do security, you know. So then the, the, the other one is uh, I do uh, one about the uh, pharmacist where um, the, uh, he, I call the pharmacy to, to get a, a re-up on my prescription. And uh, and then I do the guy who's on the phone, who's like a real polite dude. And, you know, and, and, and you know, I'm just like, yeah, I just call him up and it's really easy. The guys are real helpful. And, you know, and, and this guy's like, he just kept calling me ma'am. And I'm like, I'm not a ma'am. I'm a sir. I identify as a sir. And, and he just insisted that I wasn't, you know, and I'm like, so then it's back and forth. And then the third one I did was a, a me driving to my doctor's appointment. And then it was a guy, this this guy, he's driving. He's he's a um, a bike a bike carrier. And he's like, this guy, he's not a good driver. He's not, he's not safe. He's, he's, uh, he kept saying, you go, you go. I'm like, you, your light is green. It's not, you know, so then, so, so there's all these um, perceptions of how, I think it went and then how it really went. And so that's sort of the humor of that lens. Sounds a lot like uh, what's uh, John Goodman's character in The Big Lebowski when he says like, <laughs> yeah, he's am, I wrong? Am, I, yeah. am I wrong? Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Like, I think, am I the only one who, yeah, shut up, yeah. Yeah, Donnie. <laughs> I think he says you're not wrong. You're an asshole. I think exactly, exactly. Right? That's exactly. That's a great one. That's a great Aspie hole saying, um, you know, credo. I'm not wrong. I'm an asshole, but I'm not wrong. Yeah. So, um, wait, wait, if you're doing five minutes, say you have, you know, a five minute set, how do you establish your lens? Do you, do you set it up right away? Like, say, say you're, if an audience that doesn't know you yet, you don't have a, you don't have a following yet. You don't have your second right. season of your sitcom. So no one knows you. It's all about like what kind of like your five minute audition set, like its purpose in the beginning, especially is to, it's an audition set. So it's five minutes that showcase who you are. Um, to an audience, but also to a club owner and a club booker so that they can see. So when you go to a guest spot, you pop that set up there and they go, oh, he's the blog guy. I get it. So it's real important that your your audition set has that lens reflected in it. And how do you do that? Well, you 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 really begin to, you know, in my book, I use like the humor blueprint, which is basically like your premise um, um, uh, set up punchline formula with, with the comedy lens added in and then the heightening devices poked in there so you can sort of see how the whole thing works and it's sort of like a i say it's like a muscle flex over and over again when you when you put it through that and that's what gets them to laugh the laughter comes from you set them up to think one thing and then you gave them the other thing and then they get that they both equal each other and when they get that there's a laughter there's like a there's a it, it's a, there's a joyful reaction to that that that, that connection that, that you made for them and there's a million ways to describe why people laugh so, so that's just one of many but yeah so in your first five minutes you have to begin like that. That's why you have to begin to, first of all, identify what your comedy lens is. And uh, and in my book, I have four questions that you ask yourself and answer in detail. And then from that, you cherry pick sort of adjectives and, and um, nouns that sort of um, begin to describe you and then and describe your humor. And then you slowly begin to work those, you know, um, uh uh, fill in the blank kind of thing uh, to 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 begin to see like which one and, and your and your comedy lens whatever the first one is you decide you can change that you get evolved like look at me I had like I'm on my third comedy lens and who knows if I'll keep this one and if I'll discover more about who I am as I move forward but but you have to have something to start and that's why those open micers in their five minute set were all over the place because they haven't figured out their lens yet they're just trying to figure out how to be funny which is good that's 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 the job. But the next job after being funny is being funny for like, who are you? Why are you funny? And that's what the lens does. And so you begin to apply that lens to your takes. And then it you don't have to say your comedy lens. Like very few people say, I'm a wild and crazy guy. Like that's his lens, but that he he's one of the few that says it. Most people don't say it. It just comes out. Jerry Seinfeld never says, Boy, I just take, you know, nothing and I make it into a big deal. Cause that would ruin it if he said that. So you just you gather that after a while that that's what he does and who he is. And you know that from his first two bits, because each one of those is done with that lens in mind. So that, that's to me how I would, I would begin to, I would learn what my lens is first. Uh, if I was starting off of a new five minute set, 
I would be really solid on what my lens is, at least for right now. And then I would learn how to write a joke. I would learn the 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 um way to take my ideas. Like I okay, okay, I want like I I just got divorced with my wife. I want to make that. I want to be that. That that's what I really want to talk about right now. It's really on my mind. I really want to have find humor in it. So you go, okay, cool. So what's your lens? You apply it to that premise. And then, you know, that's going to be different. Like, like, you know, your lens is going to look at that premise differently than my lens does. I look, I do that in the book. In book two, I take three different lenses, including my own and a comedy quipper. And I show, I take one particular premise and I, and I show you how I do each one of those would come up with a different idea for that same premise. And that's the great thing about that. Having a comedy lens is there's only so many premises. There's so many, only so many love, love songs you can sing. So then your lens makes that your love song that makes your joke. And it, it, it really pegs that premise onto an original take for you. And then when you add your original style, how you deliver it, and boy, that really makes you stand out. And nowadays there's like a million st- comics. So if you don't have this, you're really just, you're, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to um, stand out at auditions. You're not going to get, when there's 10 guys vying or in, and girls vying for uh, two five minute sets and they're going up on a, on a Sunday afternoon in front of the owner. If you don't have that five minute set peg that shows who you are, you're not going to be one of the ones chosen. They're going to choose the ones that, Oh, I know that guy that, that my audience is going to love you. You're, you're the, um, the disgruntled housewife off oh, like we, that we need one of those or you're, or you're the, um, you're the angry salesman, you know, who's, who's, um, who's out for, for glory or whatever, you know, I got that, ha <laughs> you know, I like that. Is that the substance I hear the term persona or I hear the term uh, like blind spot? A blind Is the blind spot the same as, as comedy lens? I, I The first thing I thought of is my wife accusing me of not seeing something um, about myself that yeah, I think uh, that's is exactly causing how us to fight it. all the time. <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> so as soon as you said that, I was like, there's nothing funny about that, Stifler. Put up your dukes. It's similar to, I mean, you take, they take Seinfeld. Okay, yeah. Seinfeld's the guy who notices the minutia, but he never understands that pointing out the minutia is trivial. Yeah, okay, so, I see what you mean. Like that, that's a blind spot, like where he pretends like he doesn't see it. Yeah, and and, and your lens, like, like, I think in all comedy, I think the, the and I just helped one one of the guys I'm coaching, I was like, I think you're enjoying your own comedy too much. I think you're you're letting the audience off you're coming up short, giving them the gift of a persona, because when you sort of grin and smile at your own jokes, you end up, I think you, I think you end up like, it's almost like when an actor looks at the camera and, and except for the office, it doesn't work. Like you can't do that. Like, like what you're giving to an audience is a thing that, that you're presenting. Like if it's a movie, it's a movie. And, and if, and you don't want the actress to look at you, you want it to be a, a thing that you're watching and, and being a, like a fly in the wall on. And it's the same with a comedy show. Like you're going like, like Jerry Seinfeld, if he goes meta and makes fun of himself, like, like, especially in the beginning, he, he wouldn't do that because it's, it's, it's like going, it's, it's, it's like blowing his cover. Like, and I, maybe that's what the blind spot is, is, is you have to sell that blind spot that, that your, that your, your, your act is delivering. And I, and I, I buy that. I, if that's what that means, I, I really like that because, because that, 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 like, like the idea of like giggling at your own joke, it's, it's like you, your act isn't for you to enjoy, dude. Your act isn't for you to enjoy. It's for them to enjoy. And if you enjoy it, they're not going to enjoy it. It's not as funny to them while you're enjoying it. That's why I, it, like, when, um, remember, um, Pete on SNL, uh, what's his name? Um, Davidson. Uh, Pete Davidson. In the very beginning, he was having a real difficulty keeping a straight face. And same, same with Raj, um, um, Horatio Sands. And that whole troop with um, uh, Jimmy Fallon, and 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 it was fun. It's it's fun to watch people break, you know. Um, but like that's why in Friends, you never watch them break. Like they never makes the final cut because it's funny in the moment, but it's not really funny because it breaks the reality of what you're trying to do. And so now Pete Davidson, now I, you, I mean he's now he's become a really good actor and he's become a really funny guy because he he's he learned that someone must have told him, hey dude, you stop doing that, and then he did, and then all of a sudden now he sells the the, the character that he's really his comedy lens is pushing. And, and I think, I think, you know, kudos to him for doing that. That was, I, I, I really respect him for, um for figuring that out. Cause that's a lot of guys don't figure that out. A lot of women don't figure that out. Like Amy Schumer figured that out. And she's like, she, she can't admit that part of her or the joke's over. You know what I mean? That the joke's over, the joke's done. If Lucille Ball finally goes, boy, am I clumsy. I can't get shit done. <laughs> like the joke's over every time she's got to be like, Oh no, I can do this. I got the skills it takes to get this done. And then, you know, 30 minutes later, you're like, Oh no, you don't. 
I think it's a big professional wrestling fan. So like they, yeah. the term is kayfabe, right? You break, you break the kayfabe, you break, you know, and suddenly you lose your audience. Like people know wrestling's right. fake, but once you have, have, have admitted it or miss a punch by three feet and fit, still sell it, yeah. then you suddenly like, they want to be suspended. Yeah. Or suspend with suspended, suspended. The disbelief they want to suspended. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. What's it called? Breaking the what? Kayfabe? I think the word is kayfabe in, in the pro wrestling world. K like how do you spell that? K-A-F-A-B-E. Interesting. I like that. But I think about it like all time, like even developing like your character as a professional wrestler. Like they yeah. said, like how many like the pro wrestling promo is all about like, I'm gonna smash you, I'm gonna beat you up. And and no one believes it because it's not their true character. Right. So is it the same with comedy lens? Like when I was trying to develop my character for professional wrestling, it was you gotta take something real about yourself and heighten it. Because right. being your true self is gonna be a lot easier than hundred percent being an actor. But that, I mean, but you just said exactly what the comedy lens is. It's something that you know, that's real about yourself that affects why you think the world is funny. It's sort of like, cause I think when we're funny, it we're covering over awkward moments. We're covering over a lot of struggles. Like I, instead of getting mad, I want to make a joke. Instead of getting frustrated, I want to make a joke. Instead of wanting to punch you, I want to make everyone else laugh at you. And that's, more satisfying and, and and results in less incarcerations than than a blow you know and so so that's that's sort of what again what's what the gesture was supposed to do is, is to make the king inform the king without getting killed you know with bad news by making them laugh you know um yeah so so that i, I just looked it up that kayfabe is great it says um the factor convention of presenting stage performances as genuine or authentic and that there really is a kayfabe element to um to the stand-up comedy and um that comedy lens like with this wrestler like you said you have to pick the part of you that stands out when 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 you walk on stage and you begin to be funny there's a there's a there's a flavor to that there's a style to that there's a uh, angle to that if you really do that's the thing about being a comedian man you gotta really do a lot of self-evolution you gotta really do it like a, like, a, like look at yourself who am i why because if you want to get past the open micer stage you have to begin to figure out like why am i funny to this crowd why why do they want to hear what i have to say how can they relate to it and will they want to hear more and then that leads you to be in a middle act and then you have to say well what 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 theme am i trying to present in in an hour-long special and then when you begin to develop that that's when you begin to get headliner gigs and begin to sell that that type of show and then you have to begin to go this year what new theme am i going to put across using my same lens or is my lens evolving because i got married and i have kids now or i got divorced and i or i, I i'm i'm um I, I suddenly got diabetes and i have no legs and so now i have to i'm a different i have a different lens that i'm looking at i have to i have to i'm struggling in a different way so my humor is coming out but it's still me and so you know a really good lens lasts through all that sounds like therapy or like some self-reflection really or like i think you i think i highlighted the word vulnerable i think you used the word vulnerable yeah. in the first couple chapters i did because it really is it's 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 like stuff you wouldn't ever admit in, in an elevator full of strangers yet comedians have to cop to that and admit that and make fun of that and be okay when other people make fun of it and point it out too do you ever watch a roast it's brutal but typically everything everyone says was like you know it's true it's true, you know, but it's brutal. And 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 even if your comedy's not that way, comedy takes the piss out of something or someone. And even if you're punching up, you still have to have the ability to know who you are and know who the things above you that are causing that struggle that you can begin to mock to feel better about it. And I would say like, like you can't make fun of special needs kids in in the little yellow bus. That's not cool. That's punching down. They already have it, you know, tough enough. In fact, you know, uh, you look like a real loser if you make fun of them. So if you want to do a joke about that, you know, punch up. You know, make fun of the people uh, who designed that little yellow bus and made those kids sit in a bus that looks like it has special needs. It's, it's funnier because it, it, you know, you can tell by the way you rolled over laughing and um, uh, stood up and applauded is. Um, no, you, you laugh like a comedian laughs. You're like, oh, that's good. Yeah, I like that. That's funny. Huh. Mm -hmm. it, it, but that's but that's like, you know, just a, an example of why, you know, like, like punching up and punching down. And then punching sideways would be if you're the kid in the little yellow bus and you're making fun of being there. 
then you can punch sideways. Like that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm that kid. I'm, I'm the, you know, I'm special needs. And, but you better have something wrong with your voice, the way you speak. You better have a limp. You better be in a wheelchair or have crutches or something, because if you don't, now you're punching down and, and, you know, right. It's like that guy who parks in the handicapped spot and he's got the placard, but he's walking to the, you know, to the wall. That's not for you. That's not for you. It's for the people who can't do that. You Oh, I got the card. I was struck by like the vulnerability thing. Like, you ever you ever listen to moth podcast or moth storytelling or go to a like a story hour? Like, they have them in Denver here, the moth story hour, and like they, everyone tells a five minute story, right? You get your name pulled from a hat, tell a five minute story. And I was struck at how well, how big a laughs these storytellers were getting, and and they're like, this is I mean, this is much funnier than open mic. And these guys aren't trying to be funny, but they're so vulnerable. They're telling a story about you know, their disability, or they're telling a story about losing a child. And then suddenly they're facing the wrong way and and with a microphone and telling 300 people, it's like, it's not like if you're in a vulnerability stage, you get easier hurdle to get huge laughs or what? Well, because laughter is really, you're causing um, some tension and then you're releasing it. Like the tension is the setup. I'm, I'm setting up something that makes you go, wait, what? where are you going with this? I think I know where you're going with this. And then you release that tension with, with, with a different punchline, some, some like a, a connection that goes in it from a different point. So these vulnerable moments, when you tell something about yourself, that's, that's more uh, vulnerable or, and, and, and that doesn't mean you have to like, you know, reveal all your darkest secrets, but just more like something about yourself that, that shows it like, um, I get it. I'm 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 just as funny as everyone else, and just as goofy and, and just as mockable as everyone else. And it also says, um, you know, even someone like Lewis Black. The, Lewis Black doesn't say I'm an idiot. Lewis Black tells us something about himself, though. He has a low tolerance for idiots, and so that tells us something about him. Um, he 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 has a hard time not being outward outwardly angry about the things that piss us off too. And so we love it because. We have to control ourselves. We can't have outbursts, but he can because he he's on stage and he's 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 a pro and he does it in a way that's brilliant. And he has he he brings light to a lot of really dark topics that make us think about it. So there's a real like double thing going on with with a guy like Lewis Black and any guys you who are at that level, you know. Yeah, vulnerability is tough because it's like, like if you get too vulnerable, it's not funny. It's more like 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 dude, this isn't a a twelve step program, and you're up there telling us about that stuff. And that's where the heightening devices come in. Yeah, the heightening devices can't. Yeah, too much tension. It's all. It's only tension. We just too much. You relieve it. Relieve it. And that's where the heightening devices come in. Like in my book, I have these thirty-six heightening devices. You know, um, and these are uh, uh, like sort of tools that, especially the pro comics, but anyone who's trying to be funny uses these to to sort of bring worlds together in order to make a point about the setup that you've created. Like. Uh, like a, a good example are like the cut forward to or cut back to. So a heightening device, uh, a cut forward to would be um, you you create a scenario that would result from whatever you just set up. So like, like uh, I just got divorced, cut forward to me trying to date, you know, because I'm, I'm now I'm that, that guy. Now I'm the divorce guy. Hey kids. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So I just cut forward to a scene or cut back to the reason why I just got divorced, you know, me on my first date, Hey, maybe it's not so important to bring flowers, you know, or whatever, but, but that's a cut forward that those are two heightening devices. And so you can use those devices to get a laugh off your um, setup. And that's part that, that will be your punchline. And when you use that heightening device, when you show them, Oh, I see what he did. He cut back to a thing and it explains what he just set up. They get that. They see that connection. They laugh. And then if you heighten that and you begin to, I cut forward to that moment. And then I, I do a, a like a yes. And to that moment, I, I not only agree with that moment with my next statement, but I also make it bigger, more intense, more, more of whatever it is I did more of it that gets another laugh. And so that's, that's called playing the game. That means I'm, I'm bringing those two worlds together again. I, I, I all of a sudden that my, my, um, you know, there's a, a different perspective, observe the setup from an unlikely point of view. So you could do that. I'm, I'm in traffic. I hate traffic. I hate, I hate people that tailgate me. Right. So, so I could, I could make that fun by going, but I, I know who hates it even worse. The teenagers sit in the back seat of the guy who's tailgating. Oh my God, my dad's doing it again. And then, so that's a different perspective. Now I'm making fun of the guy who's tailgating me by having his daughter hate him. 
So that's a that's another heightening device, right? So 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 I would have to set that up. You know, boy, is it tailgating? You know, I, I sure hate to be tailgated. You know, but I get you know it would be worse. And then you know that's the setup. And then it'd be and then you know a different perspective. So so there's 36 of those that you can anthropomorphizing. You know, you can have that same thing tailgating. You know what? I I, I hate it. I can't stand when someone's tailgating me. But imagine how the car feels. You know, the front bumper of that guy's car. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We're not going through this again. I've been through that same mechanic. I know who's going to go to. And that guy's so not gentle and whatever. You just begin to be the bumper talking. So now that's a punchline. That's that's a laugh. And then you heighten that. Then you do, you know, the other bumper talking back to him, you know. And then you do another bumper that's just driving by. I saw the whole thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm part of a truck. You know, then you have a different voice because, that you know, now that's a game that you're playing. And so, so that's why a story will get laughs is because people begin to insert those heightening devices within their story. So you, I call that a flex. I call that the funny muscle flex. I say, you know, it's not a funny bone. Bones are hard and rigid in, in uh, funnies is, is, is a muscle. It, 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 you can flex it and it grows bigger when the more you flex it and work it. And so that's where the funny muscle idea came from. And these heightening devices are ways to do that. And, 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 and they're all proven. Like, like I, in my book, my second book, I go through all 36 of them and I give examples of pro comics that use those. And I also um, take that same de heightening device and I use it against that premise that I do over and over again that I wrote that uh, it's about a teen, my, my teenage daughter sleeping oversleeping on in, in the, um, in the weekend. And so then I show you how to anthropomorphize that. I show you how to do a callback. I showed how to do a contrast. I show you how to do a cut back to cut forward to all those things in each chapter. And so it's, it's a, it's a cool breakdown to show you the game plan of how you can practice being funny and then begin to use your comedy lens to make a real original take punchlines, you know, and, and then something, and then you take that and you got to go to an open mic and you got to perform them and then they might suck, but at least you have some, like a game plan that you're working on. And then you watch that tape of you sucking and you go oh dude i didn't set that up i went straight from the premise right into the punchline, and they didn't they there was no misdirection there so so I, they didn't get the game of it they didn't get why why it was funny for me to bring those together because it was i i i, I was too obvious about what i was trying to do there so so there, there's a real um once you begin to understand this part of of being a joke slinger a joke writer and then a joke slinger you can really practice in front of your computer this stuff and have way better things to bring to that open mic so now you can begin to try out material that is original to you and now like what you said you go to that open mic you start to see guys and girls um have that uh, more original takes and then and then work on that part because that that's the audition the five-minute audition that's going to get you work because because there's a shit ton of people that are funny but when it's funny because you're funny it's like i like that guy Especially if you're like us, like we're two white guys, man. Like there's a lot of white guys doing comedy. Like, it, like what, what got really popular for a while is people who weren't white guys. Anything, anything but white guys, right? And I mean, there's no offense to white guys because I'm one. I, I I have I have I have I'm a big fan, but but you know it's not interesting. It's 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 boring. So you have to figure out why why am I I, I I'm more interesting now as a uh, a clumsy aspie hole than I ever was as a tall bald comic like that. Like it's just oh I oh oh I. You know, I'm, my kids fight that way, or my my husband's that way. Oh, I, I want to hear what this guy has to say. Oh my God, he makes it funny as opposed to it's usually pretty angry. <laughs> I like the, the heightening devices as far as giving me like um tangible homework or like more doors to open. Like I've been sitting here trying to write this joke, or it's not funny, or this even just doing a story for another project. It's like, but with that, I was like, okay, let me just throw a simile at it, or let me throw a, um, exactly. let's give words to uh, uh, the fly in the room, or let's flash forward, flash back. Right. And a lot of times that they were, you know, they yield nothing, right? But at least of it's course. like, at least you're getting, but you're working you the muscle tangible to do. Yeah. Yeah. Working the muscle. And I promise you, you, because that's what I do in the book, the book too. I go through that teen sleeper premise 36 times. And then at the end, I take, and each, oh, in each one I do, each heightening device, I do three examples. I do three uh, anthropomorphizing, three cut forward twos, three different perspectives. And then out of all that material, I pull the best ones that reflect my comedy lens the most. Because a lot of them are funny, but I realize, oh, that's more like a comedy quipper kind of a joke, not a, a, a clumsy aspie hole joke. So I take all the clumsy aspie hole type ones that, and then ones that I think I could perform like that, that are funny for me. And I've got at the end of the book, I've got like a, a good five to 10 minute set 
out of that material that I showed how to, you know, to write out the, pre uh, you know, premise set, uh, set up and punchlines of it using the, what I came up with those results. And so that is, you know, ready to do on an open mic stage. I haven't done that yet. That's, that should be the next one for my um, book three is flexing your funny muscle is like when and when not to create laughs like a pro. <laughs> so, so the first book is mostly lens and blueprint, right? Yeah. I say like if, if, um if, if being funny was like driving book one is, teaching you what a car is and then book two is teaching you how to cruise around town with it and then book three is like is teaches you when and when not to drive <laughs> yeah so that that's and then all three of those are going to have a class with them and then that you can you know um get and then hopefully with this podcast we can start to um have conversations with people and show them how to implement starting with you how to implement first of all how to find your comedy lens and, and just take a stab at it just to begin to um figure out what yours is so that you can start to you know bring your comedy to the next level because if you're already getting laughs then that means that you're you you're you're honing in on your lens like something you've figured out something and if you're not getting laughs it might be because you just haven't figured out why you're funny or who you are and what your take is and so what i've been doing with my coaches uh, with the, the people i've been coaching the comedians i've been coaching is i have them answer those four questions first mm -hmm. and um um Stuck on himself. Okay, so the four questions um, that help you guide towards your own comedy lens. Number one is what personal truths define you? And that is an um, important one because what we're trying to do with the comedy lens is we're trying to figure out who you are. And the truths that define you, like for me, for instance, I'm, I'm a man, you know, I'm married, I'm a dad, um, I'm, I, I, yeah, I'm accused of having Asperger's syndrome, even though I've never been diagnosed. I, for the longest time, I thought I was neurotypical and I was very shocked to find out that I'm not. Because <laughs> that's a typical Aspie thing. I'm, I'm normal. I'm very normal. What are you talking about? You're the weird one. I'm 58, so I'm older. You know, um, I'm aging, whatever. Um, I'm, I live in Texas, but I'm from Cleveland. So you can go on and on and go, you know, mm -hmm. what, what is it um, personal truths define me? Um, I'm a Buddhist. I'm um whatever um i don't drive i've got a weird eye so i, I can't drive so so i'm really, really anxious for my my 16 my, my 14 year old daughter to turn 16 you know <laughs> or, or as i like to call her my driver my future driver <laughs> uh so i need someone to backseat drive you know with my with my one eye yeah my eye it's weird my my eyes got a um, weird focus thing happening as i got older i don't know what happened so um but that but that's a truth that defines me so then if i begin to admit stuff like that I can be, you know, and not that I would be like, that wouldn't be a comedy lens for me, but it would be part to begin to discover who I am, you know, to people who don't know me. Cause you're trying to figure out why you're funny to strangers. And the only thing that's interesting to strangers are these things to you, or maybe even to your family, they might be sick of hearing about these things. But like, if, if I, if you find out that I collect mush, mellows, uh, um, stuffed animals, it, it's, it's like, Oh, whoa. Okay. I wouldn't expect that or something. I don't, but, it, but that would be interesting. <laughs> then number two is like, what topics in life make you laugh? So that's the second question you should ask yourself when you're finding a comedy lens is what um, topics in your life um, are funny to you? Because when you begin to start to to think about that as a comedian, you um, want to sort of emulate that. You are, you're you're the, you're going to be the funniest when you begin to mock the things that you like enjoy watching being mocked. So just when you're beginning in the in this business, you just have to begin to start thinking. Well, what what do I like? What what? Are, so then you know you, the second question you answer like a, a few of those things is um, you know, and to me I like to make fun of things I see family life. Um, I like to make fun of the, the the struggles that happen. Like like I like to I'm I'm since I'm an Aspie, things frustrate me. So all the things that are really frustrating, those things when I'm in my best mood, do make me laugh, especially in retrospect. When I'm going, remember yesterday when I lost it? That was funny, ha ha. And, and my kids are all just like, that wasn't funny at all. It still isn't. And it won't be until we have therapy. So then number three, um, how do people you know describe your humor? And that's the thing is a lot of us are fooling ourselves, especially when you're beginning to get into comedy. You think you're this one thing and then you realize you're something totally different. And a lot of times you want to be one thing, but you really are this other thing. A lot of people who are like kind of dad joke, annoying comedy quippers see themselves as like, I'm kind of like a Bill Burr. It's like, no, you're not. No, you're not, dude. And people will, your friends and family who are honest with you and still talk to you will tell you that if you if you let them, if you don't interrupt them and tell them, no, I'm not, I'm Bill Burr. You know, also go ask a friend or go ask a family member what what how they would answer the question or what. Yeah, and so you ask your um, the people who know you how do they describe your humor and just say honestly just describe my humor just describe like you know he's silly he's um 
you know, with me that like, 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 oh, like he'll say the thing that everyone else in the room is thinking, but you know, would never have the nerve or, or, or the decency to say, <laughs> decency. you know, or, right. Or, you know, they're all, they're all too nice to say the thing. And he says it because he's, you know, he's trying to get a laugh. People describe me as very physical. People, they say, you you know, your face always makes me laugh. When you walk in the room, I just am waiting for that something to, you know, to do. And so um, those tell me something about myself. Those tell me a little bit more about how I'm going to deliver my humor, but still that's all part of my lens, you know? Uh, and then number three, the question is how do people who know you describe your humor? Did I just do that one? Um, yes. The number fourth question is, <laughs> is how much pot have you smoked um, in the last week? In, in, uh, wait a minute. That doesn't say that. When are you at your funniest? So that's a, the fourth question is when are you at your funniest? And so, um, that's a good question to answer because it helps you figure out in terms of what kind of show you want to do, like what, what energy do you want to reflect in that show that's similar to when you are energetically funny elsewhere? So if I'm funniest with my friends, how can I bring that to the stage? If I'm funniest when I'm cutting from the back of the classroom, sort of sarcastic comments that are ob observing what's happening and interrupting, then I have to develop that sort of thing. If it's because if it's when everyone's loud and I'm louder, that's something, you know, if it's I'm funniest when I'm wearing a wig and I'm, I'm um, holding something, you know, I got to know that I'm, I'm funniest when I'm, um, uh, <laughs> when I'm drunk, Probably not a good idea because uh, that that that's going to limit your career. But some guys um, pretend like they're drunk, and 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 you know, um, Ron, I think Ron White, you know, like pretends like he yeah. drinks a whole. I mean, he might really be dead, but there's no way a guy is that funny and that clever and that much of a, a great joke writer who, who's a drunk. So so he's 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 but he's it's his character, and so it's it's what makes him relatable and makes him, you know, really unique, uh, and it makes him memorable, you know, because he's 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 a guy who's having a drink with you. While you're, while you're, you know, and, and, but he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a, like a country storyteller, but he's really good. Anyone that gets to that level is a real clear comedy lens, you know? Mm -hmm. So those four, if you answer those four questions, so, so when somebody comes up to me and I put it out to, to, in my book, I was like, you know, email me and, you know, hit me up and I'll, I'll try to direct you towards that. So they'll, they'll always say, Hey, can you help me find my comedy lens? So the first thing I'll say is answer those four questions. And when you can answer those four questions, I can go over that and I can cherry pick the adjectives and nouns that describe you. And then I can begin to insert those into a template that I have that begins to assemble you a bit of a comedy lens. And that's just a way to get your very first one, just to begin to see, you know, like the thing that comes closest to describing you right now, knowing it could change is this comedy lens. And then that gives you a starting point as a new comedian to go, hmm, I'm going to try that. And then you begin to write material from that point of view. And then if that material really rings true, then you know you're onto something. And if it doesn't, you're like, oh, I got to change that lens because it's not really resonating or I'm not, it's not broad enough to give me enough of what it takes. And, and that's the process. That, that's, that's why you write when you're not on stage. You're only on stage for a five minute set, two, three, four, five times a week if you're lucky. So all that other time is what you could be doing this stuff is this is the stuff you can be doing that prepares you. You know, it's like the, 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 the NFL guys that work out all week for that 60 minute game. And this is exactly like football, by the way, it, it is, it is just as, as tough. It's just as physically enduring or uh, uh, rough as, as any football game you'll ever see. And I, I, I defy you to prove me wrong. <laughs> that would be great. Right. Then to have a football player, like just come by and hit me. Just, was appealing to me is about how like the comedy lens actually helps me be more creative. Like there's all sorts of studies as, as an economist, I always think about the, like the social science studies, but like they, they give like people like 20 words, write jokes from these 20 words. And then the other group gets six words. And the ones that have a little bit more uh, boundaries or guardrails, they end up having a lot more material. They become more creative, more funny when you do have some guardrails. And I kind of saw the comedy lens as, you know, as joke writing guardrails, where if you have too much material or too, it can go anywhere in the world, it's like you can't even get started. And that's where you become that comedy quipper, where it's just, it's a generic take. It's funny. And in the book, I show you what that looks like for the, um, like I, I, I did a research, a Google research on on um, snails. Uh, and they, they, I said, well, what animal sleeps the longest? It's snails. And they sleep for like, I don't know, like 30 days or something. And I said, you know, the joke was um, it, 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 apparently snails can sleep for up to 30 hours, teenage snails even longer. So so that's that's like, but that's a generic joke, right? That's like that says nothing about who I am. And that's a, but it's it's cute. It's funny. But 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 then I go in the book, I go through 
using lenses on, I, I use Rodney Dangerfield and I use Jerry Seinfeld and then I use uh, mine and I show how each of those can produce a different type of punchline. And like you're saying, it begins to, it's, it's not a guardrail is, is a good thing in the sense that it keeps you on track. You're on a trip and you're on track and it tells you where you got to be. And your comedy lens is the same way. Your, your, your trip is, is the five minute set or 10 minute set you're doing. And so this says, Hey, here's how I'm going to look at this material so that the audience can see my trip, that they can see what, what, what I'm, what, what my take on this is, because there's probably two or three or four or five or more other people that are doing the same thing before and after me. How do I stand out? How do I get them to want to see me more? How do I get them to, to pull the waitress over and go, or the waiter over and go, hey, um, when's that guy coming back? When's that girl coming back? How do I get them afterwards to write down a thing and go, hey, we want to see the the uh, the economist again. That, that guy was funny. That, that the, the 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 professor. Bring back the professor, because that's how you 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 had a lens that 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 made it stand out, and you um, gave them something that they want more of. You know. And that's what the real gift of stand-up comedy is, is you can give an original and, as Seinfeld says, imitatable take that they can't do on their own. And so you give them that. And then and they can't believe they, they get to see that. And then they can't believe that there's more of that. And in their mind, you have an endless amount of that because it's so clear of what you're doing. Mitch Hedberg, it feels like he must have 10,000 hours of that material, which he doesn't, but and he didn't. But but yet he he could come up with it because if you give him enough time, unfortunately he didn't have enough time. But but he's so brilliant that even in the hotel lobby, he's coming up with material. Like I guess the story goes that he um, was trying to rent a car. That's what it was, and he didn't have a credit card. But he had you know in his pocket he had like five thousand dollars worth of cash. And then he said, "I want to rent a car." And he's like, "Well, you need a credit card." And he's like, "But I I have money." And he goes, no, he goes, but money is what the credit card represents. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm taking out the middleman. I'm giving you the thing. Yeah. And but so, so like even his mind, you know, the joke was that even like off stage, he's still thinking that way that uh, that his his comedy lens does, which is that outside the box take on everything, you know. Yeah, and apparently with Mitch Hedberg, and I don't, I, I didn't watch him as he was developing, but I knew some comedians that did, and the story goes that he at first wasn't that guy you know he was doing some of that material but he hadn't caught on to like you know because he wasn't really a surfer because he didn't talk about surfing but he had a real sort of hippie blonde hair you know the glasses the sunglasses like kind of like too shy for this whole thing but I'm, i'm the funniest guy in the room kind of a thing and he's you know hitting you with the most common premises buying donuts, but then he's taken it in a place where like, I don't need a receipt. I don't let's leave paperwork out of this. It's just like, a, like a, 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 a recalibrating of reality that you're not used to. And then you're like, you, you wish you could go back to the first time you heard his first bit. Cause you just like, you're never going to feel that again where you're like, Oh, like the first time I read grapes of wrath, I was just like, I'll never feel that coolness again. Like I'll, I've got an experience. And, and then you want to read more Steinbeck because it's like, I want more of that, more of that, please. And that's what you, you begin to deliver as a, with a comedy lens is more of that, please. And they come back for it, it is, because yeah. it's, it's, they like it and it's clear. And if, if, if you, but you find your audience with that too. And you also find people that don't like you and, and that's good. Find, like a lens, a good, clear lens. Like Mitch, a lot of people didn't like what Mitch Hedberg had, was doing because they, maybe they're against drugs. Maybe they're um, older and they don't get it. Maybe um, they're too young. It's, it's cringe. <laughs> Or whatever, whatever. I can't imagine that. But, you know, with Hedberg, he's he's one of my favorites. But anyway, I learned in a, uh, with doing marketing is sometimes you want to eliminate a certain portion of of the of, of the populace as as being potential audience members because that means you're very clear on who you do have, and then your fans are more adamant. They're more clear. They, they're like, I I know who this guy is, and I really like him. Well, I really know who he is, and I don't like him. That's fine. Swipe left. There's plenty of people that you'll like. And that's where this also plays in a, com- a good comedy lens. And that sounds like then you shouldn't be disappointed if half the forty percent of the audience doesn't isn't with you. That means you are developing more of a narrow lens. Bill Hicks never was. He walked people all the time, and because his. But here's the thing, though: what a good comedy lens, like like uh, someone like Bill Hicks has a real clear comedy lens, but his comedy lens is 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 difficult um, because some people don't like that kind of 
comedy and that kind of thought provoking uh, um, show and a guy who is um, so really confident with, with his point and take and, and a guy who is uh, really calling out some bullshit that, and, and about some things that a lot of people hold dear. And a lot of people don't like that. Right. And he would walk people like I, I want to see him and I watched people file out in the back, like, you know, during the course of his show. And he was like, good, good. If you don't like me, then I don't, I, I'm not going to change what I do. And and the guy sold out every show every time because, because, you know, and, and so um, to me that like a, a clear comedy lens, and you don't want that because a good comedy lens for most of us brings more people to you because now they get who you are and why I like you because someone like me, uh, accountants and ec economists might like somebody who's who's wired the way I'm wired and ask people, oh my God, I, I know people like that at my accounting firm. I know people like that at, at the uh, school I teach. So so you're, a good lens actually gives you a clear picture of who that person is. And, 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 and unless it's really alienating, it does allow for more people to go, oh, I know someone like that, or I'm like that. I want to hear more about their take on these struggles because I don't know how to make fun of these struggles. These struggles are getting me down. This person though makes me laugh about it. Oh, right. They, they, they think just like I do, except better. When you're trying to develop someone's comedy lens, do they always say like, well, I'm a, I'm a Bill Burr type. I'm a Shane Gillis type. Did you try to tell them don't, don't compare yourself to a comedian, do the four questions. No, I, Is that a better method or. I, I, I mean, I like the fact that they're looking at, that means that they're watching comedy. That means they're fans of comedy. That means that they're, trying to see the commonality between two different worlds. So, so all that's good, man, all that's, that's healthy. So, so that's cool. What, what I would argue though, just in any of those cases is like, don't be Bill Burr and don't be any of them. Cause that they are that, you know, that their comedy lens is that, you know, now, now Bill Burr is, is a real interesting guy because Bill Burr, like, you know, he just says the opposite of what we all believe and then figures out a way to make it make sense, you know, and he's, he's really, you know, so, so, so you could do that too. And it doesn't mean you're like Bill Burr, you know, you could, you could have that same goal in your act, you know? And so in that way you would be similar to Bill Burr, but you couldn't, you know, unless you're also from Boston, unless you're also married to a, a, an African-American woman and, ha and is a father of two kids and also a recovering alcoholic and also loves cigars and also, you know, can't grow hair anymore. Like, like, like now, those are real things that are real specific to Bill Burr. And we all know about him and love about him because he's vulnerable enough to admit all those things. And, and, and Bill Burr is great. He's just like, you know, I'm, I got everything going on except for like who I am, <laughs> you know, I'm just too angry. I'm just, I get too pissed off. Other than that, I got it. I'm, I'm great. You know, so, so it's a real funny um, angle that he has. So, so, so I, I would encourage somebody to, to, to identify, like there's parts of me that identify with Steve Martin, with Bill Murray, with, uh, with Eddie Murphy, you know, with Bob Newhart, you know, there's all there's elements of them all that I, I wouldn't say stole from them, but but reflected truths about how I made people laugh, that when I watched them do it, go, oh, my God, there's the best version of that I've ever seen. And so I, I use that when I'm trying to perfect my take, but I, I, I have the for good fortune to be able to watch them and watch a bunch of other really good and combine it all together in this mixed stew called Mike Lucas. And then that that creates this thing that people see on stage and go, man, that dude made that guy's front bumper come alive. Holy shit. I want more of that guy, the, the talking bumper guy. 